Storytellers, this is Truth Lies in Coffee with Kara Noel and Robin McClure. Hey everyone, we are so excited to be here today. We have some coffee that's nice and creamy and delicious and hot and buttered. Yes, it is delicious. Thank you very much for that. Today we're talking about setting and how important it is to create a story that is really compelling and comes alive. What was the definition that you have for setting? Oh, okay. That's right. So when we talked about the elements of a story a few weeks ago, we described setting as where and when the story takes place, including political and magical tensions. So for instance, you can't talk about 2020 without discussing the events that happened in 2020, like COVID and Trump and lockdowns and BLM. And I know that when we were talking about how world building is goes kind of hand in hand with setting, and I know I was kind of questioning with the Um, With the world building being more in depth, I was wondering about the political and magical tensions fitting more inside the world building aspect of it. And I know you were like, well, I feel like, you know. Well, I do think that they are part of world building. But also, if you are, if your character, if your story is set in D.C. in 2020, Mm -hmm. you can't have a story without mentioning all of those things because the world changed completely. Oh, yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of tension around all of it. So that needs to be a part of the story and it needs to be considered the setting because you have people who are protesting in the streets. You have people who are locked down and who are making an effort to support protesters. That's true. And and I didn't think about it like that way. Like if your character is in these situations, that is going to be their setting. I think I was just thinking more like it is more in depth. There is more tangibility to it, I guess, than just like they're in a coffee shop. But because it's it feels more like a character in the story. Yes. And I mean, world building does have part of that. And I think where world building would come in in that instance is where you stand on the various issues. Mm -hmm. So somebody who is, we'll say, a Republican in D.C. would be supporting Trump, which would impact how other people react to that character. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, a BLM leader would be doing different things. Right. And the people who interact with them would be different and how they feel would be different. And I think that is all part of world building. I mean, that's a good point because then you're taking it even deeper still. That said, I do think there is a good deal of overlap. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Which there is anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do we make the setting stand out? When we, because you don't want your characters to just be like in a white room. Right. That's a really good point. So 
say your character is in a coffee shop because you already mentioned that. So it's a good way to build on it. So if you're in your favorite coffee shop, what are the things that stand out to you? Maybe it's the comfortable chairs and their plushness or their leather or maybe it's the nice servers or the nice baristas or whoever are there. Um, the delicious smell of the coffee and that nice roasted flavor. <laughs> um, the taste, if your beverage is good or bad, if the food is good or bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just makes me think of how we have preferences of coffee shops that we go to to meet up and and write in. And how there is some where we're like, oh, this coffee is not as good as this coffee over here. All right. Or, oh, their baked goods are always stale. Let's stay away from there. (laughs) True. It is a thing. It's a thing. (laughs) Unfortunately, they look so good. And then it's like, oh, I've been, I've bought a lie. So the real way to make your setting stand out is by incorporating sensory details. I love sensory details. And I think there there are five main senses, obviously. So there are five main sensory details. Mm -hmm. The easiest to include is the visual. Oh, yeah. And we discussed before that the hardest one to include is the smells. And you were mentioning like the coffee smell or... I, I always forget to use that one. Yes. Smell is so powerful because we all associate smell with different things. It's a very, very powerful scent. It can actually make you remember something. It makes you nostalgic. And that's something that you could incorporate into your story as well. Yeah. It also affects emotions and it can bring up negative or positive connotations. So it's very, very important. Um, Touch is also really hard to incorporate, I think. We kind of skip over it a lot of times. That's true. That's probably even easier to skip over than than smell. I mean, I think, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an instance where I have used touch because I always just focus on smell, but that I'm like, oh, I got to include that because I always forget it. But I didn't think about touch. I think sometimes we do it when we're talking about like how clothing feels or if something is hot or if it's painful. But I do think most of the time people tend to limit it to those things. I, I like I like the idea of um, I know I've used before with like a breeze or like their hair like touching their face or something. So that's that's also a good one, too. That is a good one, Kara. I might say so myself, I guess. (laughs) No, I like it. (laughs) I think, too, there is a danger in using too much sight. There's also a danger in not using enough. A lot of people imagine a book like a movie Mm. spread out before them. So there's that, that balance. Because with the movie, obviously, you don't need to describe what people are seeing. You see it. (laughs) Right. And in a book, you need to take care to fill in those details. Mm -hmm. So there is that visual richness and color. Yeah, because I I see where you what you're saying, too. You don't want to oversaturate, too. You don't want to be like, and I, I guess it was 
I think it was my mom told me one time she was reading a Nathaniel Hawthorne book, which of course they had to do back in the day with the classics is they had to go into so much detail because we're so used to, like you said, like movies and like, so if we haven't been in a rich person's house, we would, or seen it on television, we would need that description, that detailed description. But now in this day and age, we don't need all that excess so, but I just remember her saying, like, it was like five pages later, he finally got to the point of walking in the room. He described the whole room and she's like, I have to go back. I don't know what you went in the room for. That's interesting, especially because I think modern authors tend to err in the other direction. Mm. We imagine that everybody pictures things exactly the way we do. Mm. So... If you have somebody going into a coffee shop, you don't necessarily fill in the details and you might not need to. But there are certain things we know that are in coffee shops, usually like a place to order and a counter, mm-hmm. coffee, maybe some water and like a display filled with baked goods. Yeah. And that's all well and good. But if you have them go into the coffee shop and talking to somebody well we want to know where are they talking are they sitting at a table are they standing at the counter are they talking while they're filling their coffee cup Mm. those details help ground us yeah that's true because if you yeah if, if you just have i've had that happen in books before where i've been reading and i'm like what what is this where did this person come from did they just appear out of nowhere or right or you might wonder if they're even still in that coffee shop or maybe they've left maybe they you have them go into the coffee shop and then they're talking to somebody and you think okay who is this where are they (laughs) are they out on the sidewalk what's going on here (laughs) that's true yeah i i get what you're saying like just giving enough detail that you can actually picture Yeah, finding that balance and not being too overwhelming with the details, but also putting enough in there so that people know where they are and what's going on. They can visualize it. I also think that setting is important because it helps enhance the POV of a character. Mm. Yeah. When you were saying that, I'm like, oh, that's a really good idea. That I mean, that's a really good topic. Personally, I love snow. I think it's beautiful and pretty, and I love when my trees are covered in that beautiful white sparkliness, and nobody has walked in it yet, which, you know, with three children, that's like 10 minutes (laughs) (laughs) to enjoy it while it lasts. I try. But other people focus on, like, the icy roads and the cold and that's where my mind goes. <laughs> I I do I do love the pristine right like you said like right early in the morning before anything's really touched it. Like no there's not even like little bird prints in the snow, like little footprints. It's just very serene and and crystally and looks like a fairy tale. So I could definitely see you enjoying that too. But like yeah, so I get that. I get that romanticized element of it but yeah like you said it's you have the different perspectives it just it paints the the setting in a totally different light 
Right. And it's important to include those because somebody who has never seen snow before, Mm -hmm. I know that seems unusual, but... um, There are different places in the world. (laughs) Right. I had a roommate in college when I was studying abroad in France. Mm -hmm. We decided to go to Switzerland and go skiing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She had never seen snow before, which I did not know. So we are in Switzerland. We've climbed up this mountain and she's staring at the snow and she keeps repeating under her breath, it sparkles. It's actually sparkling. I didn't know it sparkled. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> I love that. Like, it's so sweet. It's like seeing it. Yeah, seeing it through someone else's perspective. Like, that probably made you appreciate it even more. Yes, we did not go skiing. Just by the way, I didn't think that would be good. <laughs> she was so distracted by it. She was, and then she, she like, had never done it either. So she stuck her hand in, in the snow and goes, "It's cold." Yes, it's cold. <laughs> so those are all things that, when you're putting a character somewhere, they need to be able to feel it. They need to be able to experience it, so the reader can. Mm-hmm. That harkens a little bit back to what we were talking about last week, where we want to put ourselves in the character's shoes. Yeah. And so when we see what they see and how they see it, we can feel that and we can bond with them better. What are some of the dangers of a lack of setting? Um, It's disorienting for sure. Because if it's just like what we were talking about with if a person just appears out of nowhere and or there's, I don't know, like, yeah, if you don't ground the character in a setting, yeah, there's nothing to really, it's like they're just floating there. Right. I think most of us have heard stories where things are described in or read stories where things are described really lightly in terms of detail. So maybe they're on a boat mm-hmm. and they're, um, we'll say a cruise ship because I've actually been on a cruise ship. <laughs> so that might be a little bit better. So they're on the deck and there's somebody who comes up to them, but we don't know where they came from or... Can I can I give a positive example of well I don't know if I want to because again I keep trying to talk about your books because I keep think of them as and then I don't want to like the other time when I was like don't give too much away. Okay, let's see. So when you have a lack of setting yeah, you're right. I, I definitely think it's disorienting. We don't know where people are. We don't have an idea of what's around them or what surrounds them. Mm-hmm. If they bump into a couch, we we didn't know it was there. It's <laughs> alarming. Or if we bump, if they bump into a person that we didn't know was there, mm-hmm. it's alarming. Especially if all of a sudden they're holding coffee in their hands or a bowl of soup. I mean, maybe they don't know the co- person was there, so that's why we don't know. Mm-hmm. But what are they looking at instead? Yeah focus the the character's attention on something right whether they're checking somebody out or or just yeah just using any of the sen- the sensory or focused on trying to get to like a table or something right? like that like they're busy scout like like when we go to our favorite coffee coffee shop and we are busy paying attention to what um, tables are actually open because there's never too many that are open. 
also, you made a really good point about how when a story lacks setting or sensory details, it also can sometimes lack foreshadowing. Mm. So if a character gets hit by a train, which is how we started talking about that. (laughs) So if a character gets hit by a train, but there was no whistle and there was no sound of the train, how did it get there? Right. Yeah. You, yeah, it, it just, it just keeps surprising you and not in a good way. You just, it's disorienting and you don't want an overwhelming too, because you're like, I don't know. You just, you're not there with them. Right. Or even better, if they get hit by a car, we don't see the car ahead of time. We don't see the flash of lights. We don't see the car racing away. We don't hear a squeal of tires. Even if we don't hear like them try to stop before they hit somebody, mm-hmm. there should be something after that or before it. Like if it's at night, we want to see those headlights. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, that's telling, especially if we don't. And then we don't hear the squeal of tires like they were trying to avoid it. Right. Sometimes lack of setting can also clearly be used as a storytelling device. I just finished reading The Bear and the Nightingale, and this book has some of the most beautiful setting I have ever read in my life. So I just wanted to read the first two paragraphs of this opening chapter, which is called Frost. It was late winter in Northern Roos the air sullen with wet that was neither rain nor snow. The brilliant February landscape had given way to the dreary gray of March, and the household were all sniffing from the damp and thin from six weeks fasting on black bread and fermented cabbage. But no one was thinking of chillblains or runny noses, or even, wistfully, of porridge and roast meats. For Dunya was to tell a story. That evening, the old lady sat in the best place for talking, in the kitchen, on the wooden bench beside the stove. Sorry, beside the oven. This oven was a massive affair, built of fired clay, taller than a man, and large enough that all four children could have fit easily inside. The flat top served as a sleeping platform. Its innards cooked their food, heated their kitchen, and made steam baths the sick <laughs> so even so even in that little description you have the feel of the cold outside the feel of the heat from the stove the feel of the hunger in their bellies mm-hmm. the taste of the fermenting cabbage soup <laughs> what else <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it definitely it paints a, a picture so that you're right there listening to the story or getting ready to listen to the story with the kids. I feel like when you were reading that and I remember when I read it, I it's sometimes, I don't know if this is just me, but sometimes when I will read a book and they describe something and I still can't picture it, is that just me? Where I'm like, like with the stove... No, I think that's part of what makes this description so, so beautiful because you do have to, it is mentioned several times throughout this book. This room is very important to the family Mm -hmm. and they're in there. Most of the time. Most of the time. 
It's definitely one of the most prevalent settings in the book. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I didn't really picture the oven as it's described. I use it so unused to what I'm used to. Yeah. And that kind of, because you had kind of gone over that before, like where you kind of picture what what you see, like what you would, how you imagine it. And when I see this huge oven, I picture it in the wall, even when, even though I've read this and it's been, it's been a couple years, but I'm like, start off, it's this huge hearth in the wall. And then it's like, oh, you can sleep on top of it. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's <laughs> throwing me for a loop because I've already started to establish what I see in it. And like, and I think I might have done that through the rest of the book too, is I would still picture it in that original way. And then when they would say something about sleeping on top of it, I'd be like, oh, oh yeah, that's how it is. Yeah, it really forces us to challenge our presuppositions. Yeah, yeah, which is good. It is good. Really quickly, I wanted to discuss some of the sensory details in other books that we've know that we perhaps know a little bit better, mm-hmm. like um, the Night Circus. Yes, because that one is another one that just has beautiful, beautiful details. Mm-hmm. You can. She takes Aaron Morgenstern takes such care to describe the popcorn mm-hmm. and the even, like drinks. The f- Sorry, go ahead. No, no. Um, well, even the fire, like the bonfire and the clock. Yes, yes. Like especially the clock, like to the point where it again, it was so foreign to me with it being such a unique clock that he creates. I read the description. On multiple reads, and still I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot to it. <laughs> yeah, I man- I always imagine going to the circus, and it's very hard, too, to make it at night. Mm. Yeah. Because you don't, like, I've never been to a circus at night, so you really only have the bonfire that's lighting up the whole circus. And then you have all the smells Mm. yeah you have all those smells that you associate with like a circus and like fall i know that it does feel like a very like a fall setting with the smells and the it does which is especially interesting because it travels around all the time i don't know that it stops (laughs) right i just always think of my niece saying it she just in the fall time she's like that's when i reread it every year ironically so do i (laughs) So there must be something. Is it like there's like caramel? Yes, the caramel so that might really be. stands out in my mind. <laughs> I think about too, like the one tent with all the ice, the ice forest. Yes. Or the ice garden. Or- the ice garden. And also the tent, is it the wishing tree or where they light candles upon other people's wishes? Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. That's a good one too. I picture like normal sized tents with these huge worlds inside. And all of those create such stimulating details that you can remember them later. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what you want. You want your readers to be like, oh, I want to go back to that place. Which is what so many people praise her for the setting and for the world. It's just so beautiful. So I think that's everything we wanted to talk about today. What do you guys think about setting? What are some of the tricks you use? Um, What would you like to learn more about in terms of setting and creating really dynamic settings? Yeah, we would love to know. Uh, Again, you can get 
in touch with us by email at truthliesandcoffee at gmail.com. Or you can also follow us on Instagram. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.